welcome to the Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Tudor, Certified Lifestyle Medicine Practitioner. My aim is to help everyday people understand science, not the science, and to use that understanding to make better choices for their health and well-being. Each episode, I'll be bringing my latest Substack post to you in audio form. For the full visual experience, including graphs, charts, images, and videos, view the accompanying post in my Empowered Substack. And now, let's dive in. Episode 77, new study finds all forms of hormonal contraception raise breast cancer risk. Messing with women's biology has consequences. Ever since the first oral contraceptive was approved in 1960, the pill has been hailed as a liberator of women. It granted to women, for the first time in history, the ability to exercise control over their reproductive function. Initially, the oral contraceptive pill was only made available to married women, allowing them to decide when and if to have children. In 1965, this restriction was lifted, and doctors were permitted to prescribe the pill to any woman, married or single, who asked for it. The advent of reliable contraception that was controlled, at least at the user end, by women, ushered in unprecedented social change. Women's mass-scale entry into the workplace set off a chain of events that culminated in significant legislative changes, including anti-discrimination laws and guarantees of equal pay for equal work, as well as a profound transformation in attitudes towards women's capabilities and role in society. And of course, the sexual revolution of the swinging 60s would not have been possible without the fear of unwanted pregnancy having been effectively nullified by the pill. For the first time ever, women could engage in casual sex or premarital sex without risking an unwanted pregnancy, which might force them to choose between a shotgun wedding with a man they didn't really love or barely knew, a potentially lethal backyard abortion, or being sent to the country to give birth to a baby who would immediately be given up for adoption, which is how my older brother and sister came into my parents' care. Conversely, single motherhood was significantly destigmatized, and it became an economically feasible alternative to surrendering one's child for adoption, with the introduction of social welfare programs such as the Single Mother's Benefit, implemented by Gough Whitlam, possibly Australia's most polarizing Prime Minister. In fact, it's virtually impossible for those of us who have grown up in the post-pill era to imagine living in a world that had not been utterly transformed by hormonal contraception. But any economist and any evolutionary biologist, will tell you that life is always and everywhere a series of trade-offs, not a steady march toward perfection. Every ostensible advancement or improvement has costs, which may not be immediately apparent. A new generation of feminist authors, including Mary Harrington and Louise Perry, have made forceful arguments that the pill-fueled sexual revolution has been harmful to the happiness of both men and women, and the well-being of children. Perry provocatively asserts that the easy availability of oral contraception caused women to lose rather than gain sexual agency in that they could no longer use the fear of unwanted pregnancy to deny men casual sex. Harrington is particularly concerned about the commodification of sex that inevitably occurs when it is decoupled from its biological function of reproduction. I've made the case for rewilding, as I've called it, rewilding Mm. sex. And which is it's, it's the pro-sex case against birth control on the basis that, you know, in much the same way as to rewild an area of uh, to rewild an ecosystem, sometimes you have to reintroduce the apex predator because otherwise the ecosystem just doesn't work. You know, my argument is that we, we, we won't be able to we won't be able to move sex out of this 
this empty, sterile, recreational terrain and back into its proper seriousness and take it seriously and with the pleasures that come with that, unless we're willing to reintroduce the danger. Wow. And I, although I can't prove it, I, I'm, although I can't prove it, um, it is my hunch that a great deal of the so-called BDSM culture would disappear overnight if we if we allowed the true seriousness and the true danger of, of what sex is actually for back into the picture again. You know, all of these young women who are who are being choked or slapped or otherwise otherwise physically abused, and a lot of them genuinely want it. This is a controversial thing to say. Um, and this and my my great friend Louise Perry will you know, we argue back and forth about BDSM, and it's it's clear enough to me from from women I speak to that a great many of them they you know they they ask and I hear I hear from this from young men as well that that girls girls who they're with they're asking to be choked or slapped or whatever and and it's and, and honestly Brett I think it's because they just want to feel something. Um, that, that's what's going on. And if 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 you take, <laughs> I mean, you know, being being slightly more flippant about it, you know, contraceptive sex is like vegan bacon. You know, it kind it's kind of the same. But is it any wonder that people are adding a lot of hot sauce because the flavour just isn't quite there? Um, and I and I think if you add the danger back in, then a lot of the a lot of the violence, the degradation, and the the extreme and the sexual tribalism uh, that you've been characterising would would disappear. Quite aside from the profound psychosocial and cultural impacts of readily available and reliable contraception, the pill and its spin-offs, including implants and progestogen-releasing intrauterine devices such as the Marina, are, like any other medicine, they have side effects. Previously, I've written about the impact of hormonal contraception on women's risk of anxiety and depression. In the article Hormonal Contraception and Women's Mental Health, I shared the results of a massive Danish study which found that women using any form of hormonal contraception, including oral contraceptive pills, patches, vaginal rings and hormone-releasing IUDs, were more likely to be diagnosed with depression. Compared with women who used no form of hormonal contraception, the risk of being prescribed antidepressants for the first time ranged between 23% higher for women taking the combined oral contraceptive pill to 100% higher, that is a doubling of risk, in women using a contraceptive patch. The Danish study also found that the risk was even higher in adolescents, with girls aged 15 to 19 being 80% more likely to be diagnosed with depression if they were taking the combined oral contraceptive pill, all the way up to three times more likely if they used non-oral hormonal contraceptives, again including the ever more widely prescribed Marina. In More Evidence That Taking the Pill in Your Teens is Linked to Depression, I reported US data that confirmed the Danish study, finding that women who had never used oral contraceptives had less than one-third the odds of suffering major depression as women who had started taking the pill during adolescence. Then, in This Is Your Brain on the Pill, I delved into two studies which identified distinct changes in the structure and function of the brains of women taking oral contraceptives. Namely, pill-taking women had significantly smaller volume of the hypothalamus, a region of the brain that produces many hormones and helps regulate essential bodily functions, including body temperature, mood, appetite, sex drive, sleep cycles, and heart rate. They were more reactive to emotionally negative images, and those who had begun taking oral contraceptives in adolescence also showed a blunted response to a social stressor, which has previously been found to be a risk factor for depression. 
and in how the pill and HRT affect your gut and your risk of autoimmune and inflammatory disease, I summarized multiple studies which found that women taking oral contraceptives are at higher risk of inflammatory bowel disease, that's Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, as well as multiple sclerosis, systemic lupus erythematosus, and interstitial cystitis. But as devastating as anxiety, depression, and autoimmune conditions are, both for those who suffer them and their loved ones, the disease that women have been conditioned to fear more than any other is breast cancer. And just a footnote on that, breast cancer is only the fifth leading cause of death in Australian women. Almost three times as many women die of dementia and more than twice as many die of coronary heart disease as die of breast cancer. Now, it's long been acknowledged that both current and recent use of combined oral contraceptives, those containing synthetic versions of the hormones estrogen and progesterone, the latter known as progestogens, are associated with an increased risk of developing breast cancer. Since estrogen is required for the growth of the most common form of breast cancer, there was initially some cautious optimism that progestogen-only contraceptives might be a breast-safe option. But a study of nearly 28,000 UK women, published in March 2023, has poured cold water on that hope. The study, Combined in Progestogen-Only Hormonal Contraceptives and Breast Cancer Risk, a UK nested case control study and meta-analysis, used the Clinical Practice Research Data Link, CPRD, a computerised UK primary care database containing anonymised, linked and prospective medical records for approximately 11 million individuals registered with the National Health Service General Practitioner to examine the relationship between breast cancer and the use of any form of hormonal contraception. Researchers identified 9,498 women aged between 20 and 49 years who were enrolled in the CPRD and who were diagnosed with invasive breast cancer between the 1st of January 1996 and the 20th of September 2017 and who had received one or more prescriptions for any form of hormonal contraception between the 1st of January 1995 and their date of diagnosis. Two controls, that is women who were not diagnosed with breast cancer during the study period, were selected for each woman with a breast cancer diagnosis. These controls were matched for age, GP practice and length of observation period. When the researchers compared contraceptive use in the cases versus controls, they found that use of all forms of hormonal contraception were associated with an increased risk of developing breast cancer. Specifically, women who would use the combined oral contraceptive, again that's an estrogen plus progestogen, at any point during the observation period had a 23% higher risk of being diagnosed with breast cancer than women with no use of hormonal contraceptive. Women who took an oral progestogen-only contraceptive pill had a 26% higher risk. Women who used an injectable progestogen had a 25% higher risk. Women who used a progestogen IUD, such as a Marina, had a 32% higher risk. And too few women used a progestogen implant, such as Norplant, for the researchers to calculate risk accurately. It's important to point out that the increase in absolute risk of breast cancer associated with the use of hormonal contraceptives is small. For women who used any oral contraception between the ages of 16 and 20, an additional 8 per 100,000 users will develop breast cancer over the course of the next 15 years, on top of the base rate of breast cancer. This equates to an increase in incidence in this age group from 0.084% to 0.093%. For women who used oral contraception between the ages of 25 and 29, their 15-year excess risk is about 61 per 100,000 users. So that's an increase in incidence from 0.5% to 0.57%. 
and for women using oral contraception between 35 and 39, their 15-year excess risk is about 265 per 100,000 users, and that's an increase in incidence from 2% to 2.2%. However, having seen many clients who have gone through the painful, humiliating and disfiguring process of breast cancer treatment, I think most would tell you that if they had known of anything that might have reduced their risk of this horrendous experience even a little, they would have jumped at it. Assessment of risk is in the eye of the beholder. In my personal and professional experience, the vast majority of doctors do not even mention the potential side effects of hormonal contraceptives that they prescribe. A woman cannot give informed consent if she is not apprised of all the risks of treatment. Furthermore, I see many women, including adolescents and young women, who suffer from painful or heavy periods or menstrual irregularity. Almost all of them report that their GP prescribed either an oral contraceptive or progestogen-releasing IUD without any discussion of potential adverse effects and without even a rudimentary investigation of potential underlying drivers of their menstrual disorders. Just as hormonal contraception made it easy for men to get sex without having to put the work into courtship and proving themselves worthy of marriage, it has facilitated lazy doctoring. Why bother putting the work into investigating why a woman is suffering from painful or regular periods or educating her about the diet and lifestyle habits which contribute to menstrual dysfunction when you can just put her on the pill to so-called regulate her cycle, which is arrant nonsense as hormonal contraceptives disrupt the delicate orchestration of the reproductive cycle or insert a marina which has a one in five chance of stopping her from menstruating altogether. Voila, problem solved. Or, more to the point, problem neatly concealed. It's a sad state of affairs when it is considered perfectly acceptable to put girls and women at increased risk of mental health disorders, autoimmune conditions and breast cancer by prescribing hormonal contraceptives that profoundly impact their physiology, while not only depriving them of informed consent, but also failing to address the diet and lifestyle behaviours and underlying health issues that are causing their current symptoms and are likely to generate more and more serious disorders as time goes by. It's been over 60 years since the pill launched a cultural, social, economic and sexual revolution. Hormonal contraception has also been embraced enthusiastically as a therapeutic option by the vast majority of doctors. But it's high time we pause to carry out an honest accounting of its effects for good and ill. For many women, the costs of hormonal contraception just aren't worth it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and on your socials and make sure you subscribe to my Empowered Substack so you never miss a post.